The text for this afternoon's sermon comes to us from 1 Samuel 16, the verses 1 through 13. Reading then from 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear, hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. But he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. So far, the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one thing that you have to come to terms with when you study the Word of God is that God does not do things our way. And we shouldn't be shocked by this because this is something that God himself reveals in scripture. We can think of Isaiah 55 verse 9 where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God does things from an entirely different perspective and this shows in the way that he uses unexpected events and unlikely people. God's story 
is not written the way that we would write the story. For which one of us would have thought that Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers would actually turn out to be a a good thing? And which one of us would have thought that 400 years in slavery or 70 years in captivity and exile, that those would have been important parts of the history of God's people? Would we have envisioned that God would use the sinful and rebellious nature of the people of Israel in order to open up the way of salvation to many? Well, of course not. And we wouldn't have used the same types of people that God did either. Would Ruth, the Moabitess, a a pagan unbeliever, would she have been included in our story? Would Rahab, a prostitute, And would we have Christ the King, our central character, would we have him be born to the family of a simple carpenter? Well, of course not. Because that's not the kind of story that we want. And that's not the kind of king that we want either. In our story, we would have had a king with a lot more glitz and glamour. And we would have cut back on some of the negative stuff we would have made a story that was much more marketable. And that's because we don't share the perspective of God. Our thoughts are not his thoughts, and our ways are not his ways. And we'll see that today in God's choice to anoint David as the future king of Israel. So I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under the following theme, God chooses an unlikely new king. We'll see in the first place the unexpected command to anoint a new king. Secondly, the unexpected character of a new king. And finally, the unexpected choice of a new king. Looking then at the unexpected command to anoint a new king. Our passage begins by introducing us to a grieving Samuel. Samuel is mourning, he is discouraged, he's distressed. And if we take a moment to actually put ourselves in Samuel's shoes, well, then we can understand why he's grieving. For Samuel is a man that loved God. Samuel is a man that had dedicated his entire life to the service of God. He's a man that's recognized by the people as being a prophet from God. And yet despite this, Samuel's life was filled with hardship It was filled with trouble. Though Samuel loved God, we're told that his sons did not. We're told that they were wicked men. They were not fit to lead Israel the way that Samuel had. And because of this perceived lack of leadership, the people of God, they had come to Samuel and they had demanded a king. They wanted a real king just like the other nations, even though Samuel had told them time and again that God was their king. And yet God had granted their request. And so Samuel had anointed Saul as king. But Saul, Saul had gone his own way. He'd become proud. He decided to do things the way that he wanted to. So ultimately, God had rejected Saul as king. And this rejection is something that we actually read about quite a bit earlier in 1 Samuel 13. There we read, Your kingdom 
will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. Samuel, he had spent his time, he was dwelling on the rejection of Saul. And yet he had forgotten about the fact that God had already selected someone else. And so God commands Samuel to get up and to go to the house of Bethlehem or go to the town of Bethlehem to the house of Jesse because he says there you will find the man after God's own heart, the future king of Israel. Samuel, however, he he had a few concerns about God's command. After all, Israel still had a king. They had this man named Saul. And it's not like Saul would take kindly to the news that Samuel had gone to anoint another king. And the mere fact that Samuel has to bring this up, it gives us some idea of how far Saul has strayed from God, the type of man that he has become. For even though God had told Saul that the kingdom would be taken from him and given to another, well, it's clear that Saul would not give it up without a fight. It's not hard to imagine that Saul might have been keeping tabs on Samuel because Samuel was the former leader of God's people. He was still an influential man. So we can understand that Samuel might be afraid. And yet God calms Samuel's fears and he provides him with a valid reason to go. He tells him to take a heifer and to go and make a sacrifice to the Lord at the town of Bethlehem. For as God's representative, Samuel would still have had the responsibility of of interceding, of making atonement on behalf of the people. So sacrifices, they would still have been a regular part of his routine. They wouldn't have drawn too much attention. And so with these instructions, Samuel goes. But the people of Bethlehem, they seem quite alarmed at the arrival of Samuel. From the reaction of the elders, it seems that they expected Samuel to bring punishment or to bring bad news. But Samuel assures them that he has come in peace. In fact, he tells them that he has come to make a sacrifice to the Lord, and he invites them to purify themselves and to join him at the sacrifice. And we can sense that the drama in this story that it's building, for God is about to unveil the new king. And yet, before God completely reveals his plan, he teaches Samuel and us an important lesson about the difference between the things that God values and the things that men value. For Samuel is expecting a king like Saul. He's expecting a man among men, a force to be reckoned with. That's the kind of king that Samuel wanted, and that's the kind of king that the people wanted as well. But God, God is looking for something else. And we'll see that in our second place, the unexpected character of a new king. As we get to the verses 6 and 7, we need to remember that at this point, Samuel does not yet know exactly who will be king. Yes, he knows that it will be one of the sons of Jesse, but outside of that, God hasn't told him that much else. God has simply told him that he will indicate to him who he is to anoint king. And so as the guests arrive for the sacrifice, you can imagine that the curiosity of Samuel is building. 
he probably can't help but imagine what the future king of Israel will look like. And then as Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, walks in, it seems that Samuel's curiosity is satisfied. This, he thinks, this one must be the king. And we can only imagine that Eliab must have been something to look at. He must have been big, broad, toned, and chiseled features. He must have been a man who stood out from the crowd, who carried himself with confidence and dignity. In fact, he must have reminded Samuel of Saul. And yet this was exactly the problem. Because Samuel's concern was focused on the external appearance of this king. He was wondering how he would be viewed. Would he command respect? Would he strike fear? But in his attitude, Samuel proves that he has not yet fully learned the lesson of Saul. For Saul, he had represented all of those things that the people wanted in a king. And yet he lacked the one thing that God valued most. And so God teaches Samuel in verse 7, he says to him, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God shows that the, that the king, he could have been big and strong, he could have been courageous and brave, but if he did not have a heart for God, well then it would all be for nothing. God's people didn't need a great king by the world standards because they already had a great king. God doesn't need people to make him great. And God didn't need a king to help him rule the people of Israel. But instead, God shows us that he can use people and often unexpected people in order to bring glory to his name, in order to display his greatness. And this is something that the New Testament talks as well about. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 29, there we read, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. God uses people who are nothing special by earthly standards in order to show how truly special he is. And this is something that God has done throughout history. God used Jacob, a cheater, Ruth, a Moabite, a pagan, Rahab, a prostitute, Paul, a murderer, Peter, a liar, Lazarus, who was dead. Because God is not held back by the limitations, the shortcomings, and the weaknesses of people. God's glory is not dependent on us. And we could learn something from that today, brothers and sisters. For what are the character traits that, that we really value? What are the things that matter to us? Are you consumed by your career, 
by how much money you make? Do you desire to have that figure, that body, that everyone will notice? Do you define yourself by how much you weigh, by how tall you are, how thin you are, how athletic you are? What is it that matters to you? The truth is that none of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but it is all about priorities. We should value most in our lives the things that God values. We should place our effort, our desire, our focus on being people after God's own heart. So do you care as much about spending time in God's word as you do in spending time at the gym? Does time on your, on your hair or your cosmetics, is that as important to you as making sure that you have time for prayer? Is making time for Bible study, is that as important to you as making time for your hobbies and your sports? Ultimately, we need to ask ourselves where does God rank in our lives? We have a calling to strive to be people after God's own heart, to value the things that God values. And yes, we recognize that in this life, we will never be able to do that perfectly. And so we can give thanks to God that he has sent us one who could. In Jesus Christ, we find one who truly valued the things that God valued one who was a perfect man, a perfect king, and one who now rules over an ultimate and an everlasting kingdom. And yet he was a man who did not conform to the expectations and to the values of this world. Consider how Isaiah describes him in chapter 53, verse 2. There we read, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus was not a man of external appearances, and yet he was a man who really and truly valued the things of God because he possessed the heart of God. He loved God with everything he had, even unto death. He loved others more than himself. He turned the other cheek. He was humble even when he was falsely accused. He represented everything that the world despised. And so they rejected him. They didn't want a king like that. And to be honest, they still don't want a king like that. And yet God knows that this is the king we need. Because this is the type of king that no earthly king could ever be. All the earthly kings would always have shortcomings. They would always be men of sin. And yet, by God's grace, they would play a part in paving the way forward. And it shows us that God can use anyone to play a part in his sovereign plan, even those that we least expect. And we'll see that in our third point, the unexpected choice for a new king. Needless to say, Samuel is probably a bit disappointed that Eliab, his choice for king, is not God's choice for king. But the good news is that Jesse has quite a few sons. So Samuel has them brought before him one by one. 
And yet as each one is brought forward, God tells him, I have not chosen this one, or this one, or this one. And then you have to imagine that there's this awkward moment where Samuel runs out of candidates. You just have to think about his confusion as he, as he reflects on the instructions that he got from God. Had he misunderstood God? He had been sent to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, right? And you can almost picture him somewhat sheepishly asking Jesse, you wouldn't happen to have any more sons, would you? And yet Jesse says, yes, there is one more, the youngest, David, but he's actually out tending the sheep. David was such an unlikely choice that he hasn't even been invited. And it's suggested that he was maybe 10 or 12 years old. And yet Samuel is convinced that this, this one at last, is the one. And he goes and he summons David, and he will not sit until he comes. And then at last, as he is brought before Samuel, God tells him that he, he is the one. Now you might ask, why? Why? What, what was it about this young man, a youth, really, that made him a man after God's own heart? Was it his boyish good looks? Was it his handsome futures? Clearly he had those. And yet, it's not those things, for God has made clear that he is, he is not concerned about the external appearances. Instead, we need to recognize today that there was nothing particularly special about David at all. It's important to remember that because this is not really a story about Samuel or David for that matter. This is a story that's all about God. It's about God's ability to use anyone to bring glory to his holy name. God could have chosen Eliab, or his brother Abinadab, or Shammah, or any one of the other sons of Jesse, and yet God chose David. And not because he was more deserving, or because he was perhaps a, a better person. For the reality is that David would prove to be a man with some serious shortcomings. He would turn out to be a murderer, and an adulterer. David was a man who fell far short of the character that God demanded. And yet God chooses him. Because David's kingship was not about how good David was, or how courageous he was, or how righteous he was. Instead, David's kingship, it was all about God using unexpected people to further his sovereign plan of salvation. David's kingship was all about what God would do through David. David was simply the man on whom God chose to bestow his grace and favor. And we see that this is something that was publicly symbolized by the anointing at the hands of Samuel. And we read that David, he's not simply anointed by God, but we're also told that from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord came on David with power. David was anointed as the representative of the Lord. He received the blessing of the Lord 
And now he would go out with the strength and the wisdom that was granted by the Lord. And the picture that God provides us in our passage today of David's anointing and of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him, this too points us forward to Jesus Christ. For centuries later, Jesus would stand up in a synagogue in Nazareth and he would read from the scroll of Isaiah from chapter 61 and he would say this about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus Christ was in the truest sense the anointed, the chosen one of God. And at his baptism, we read that the Spirit of the Lord visibly descended upon him. Jesus Christ was the true and the perfect king that God's people needed. He would serve God with his entire heart the way that a true and perfect king should. And by God's grace, we're invited to share in that kingship. And not because of how good we are, how strong we are, how much money we make. It's not because of anything that we do. Instead, as Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism tells us, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are able to share in his anointing. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that we too are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit can do amazing things in our lives. God can use the least of us, the weakest of us, those who struggle with sins daily. And God can use us to bring glory and honor to his name. And David, he provides us with a great example of this. For in David, we see God working with a man, a sinner. And we see God molding and bending and shaping him so that more and more he learned to follow the example of the king of kings. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that God anoints us as prophets, priests, and kings. He grants us the power of the Holy Spirit to work mightily in our lives. So recognize this afternoon that it is in God's strength that we're able to take up the tasks to which he calls us. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be better siblings, better parents, better students, better employees. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we can rest assured that God is working mightily in us, bending us, shaping us, forming us into the type of people that God wants us to be. Amen.